We're in a series called Family and Generational Transfer, handing off the faith to the younger generation. Today's going to be kind of fun and interesting. I want to talk about finishing well, finishing strong. How do you age well? How do you get to the end of the finish line well and then able to encourage the younger generation coming up? This was our verse we've used for our series, Psalm 71, verse 17 and 18. And it says, Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, until I declare your power to the next generation and your mighty acts to all who are to come. Old and gray is common for every one of us, if you live long enough. We wonder sometimes if that's a good thing or a bad thing. So as I get to the, about the midpoint of this message to talk about finishing well, let's talk a little bit about aging. You know, I want to talk about that to enable us to finish well. I was thinking about this formula to understand aging. Age is the result of experience and deterioration. Merry Christmas. Age or experience is very good. And in the Bible, it is to be honored and respected. God's plan was for his people to revere those who age. You young people need to listen. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 32. Rise in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God for I am the Lord. Interesting, isn't it? There's a lot on that, by the way. That's just, that's just one. You know, my, my father wasn't in his early days when I was growing up. He finished okay, but he, he was a pretty terrible in many other ways. But he used to insist in that military discipline uh, when I was just a little kid that when a woman walked in, you stand up. Now, he missed the one about older people. But when elderly people walk in, you should stand to show respect. If you're a believer, God says, you do that for me. You, you give them your seat. You, you show them honor and respect to, to age well. You probably know this, but in our society and culture, we worship youth, not age. One of my friends was on an airport tram going to another terminal, and he was standing because it was so crowded. And a young woman was sitting near him who was beautiful, and she made eye contact with him. And he's thinking, deceptionally, I still got it. He's real happy at that moment. And then she spoke to him and said, Sir, would you like my seat? Which deflated him quite a bit. We have articles in magazines about anti-aging resources. Did you know the Bible is kind of pro-aging? The word elder is used over 170 times in Scripture. And particularly in the Old Testament, it speaks about how years, age, can bring a maturity that will enable older folks to come alongside and guide and mentor those who are younger. In fact, for our staff meeting this past week, I said, here are some things this morning, and I just did it conversationally with no prep. I just said, what I wish I had known when I was a teenager. And one of them, the very first one, was dream big, for God's sake. If you're going to be, be anything, dream big. Dream bigger than the family you came out of. 
than the marriage of your parents you came out of, than the culture or race. Dream big. God nowhere encourages us to dream small. He says, I'm able to do exceedingly above anything you can ask, anything you think. So how many people ever grew up in church where they said, go for it, baby, dream big. You can be something. You can do something. Zip. Nothing. I never heard it in school. I never heard it in my family. I never heard it in the culture. And I sure never heard it in church. All we heard in church was how to go to heaven, build me a cabin, Beulah land, and how to tithe. We got that right. But that's about it. But nobody talked about life and potential and about dreaming. Dream big, for God's sake. Abraham, lift up your eyes. Look north, south, east, and west. All the land you can see, I'll give it to you. Meaning if you can't see it, you can't have it. What do you see? A mud puddle or an unlimited future? I'd rather ask God for too much than too little. And our, our, our sin, if we have one, would be to say, you, you think too small. You live too small. You, you don't live with a, a godly ambition to achieve more, to dream more. I want to pass the baton on to my kids, and I want to push that sucker as far as I can so they can have a good head start. Most of us came out of a deficit. That's not what a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Sorry for messing around with you, but it's Bible. So elders in the community are to be prized, esteemed, and respected. Leviticus 27, verse 1 and 2, and verse 7. If anyone makes a special vow to dedicate persons to the Lord by giving equivalent value... Let the amount be set for a male between the ages of 20 and 60 at 50 shekels of silver. If he's a person 60 years or more, set the value at 15 shekels. Can you see that the idea of a senior discount comes right out of the Bible? <laughs> Bet you didn't know that. The Bible does not make a secret of people's ages. Old age, biblically, is viewed as an achievement, a prize. It says of Abraham in Genesis 25, in verse 8, Abraham died at a good old age, an old man full of years. So the older people got, the more respected they were. That's how the community was to work. In our day, you don't see that very much in ads, like how welcome is old age, you know. But in the Bible, it was. Human aging, which involves experience, is really good. And ever since the fall of man, it also involves a kind of deterioration. One of the most colorful passages is in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It says, remember your creator at the end of your life when you've messed it up horribly, your health is bad, you've been through three marriages, try to get right with God. No, I'm adding that. Some of you think it's in the Bible. No, no, it's not. Remember the Creator in the days of your youth. Like I said, if they had taught me how to dream big, how to pay the price early. Some of you young people, for God's sake, take your biggest risk while you're young. you got nothing to lose. Go for it. You get old and you get scared and you get grumpy and you get comfortable and you won't take a risk. Take it when you're young. Go for it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, brother. Sit up here, okay. <laughs> so start thinking now about finish, finishing well. The finish line, think about it now, for God's sake. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you say, 
I find no pleasure in them. Yeah, you know, talk to an old grouchy, non-visionary old person. They don't have much pleasure in life at all. And then this colorful description of the days of trouble that are headed your way in mind as you get older. He says, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong man stoops. That's verse 3. When age comes, you lose a little height and your strength goes down. One way to tell if you're aging is to stand up. And if you make noise when you do, you're aging. Little kids don't do that. Snap, crackle, and pop. You know, the, the writer goes on in verse 3 and mentions the deterioration category. When the grinders cease because they are few. What are the grinders? Your teeth. And no dentist in those days. So the, no, no fl uh, floss or anything. So the grinders start to disappear. And then he goes on in verse 3. And those looking through the windows grow dim. That's speaking of your eyes. No laser surgery, no cataract removal, no contact lenses back then. Verse 4, when men rise up at the sound of birds. What's that about? Can't sleep anymore. Any little noise wakes you up. You start asking other people in church, how'd you sleep, brother? When you're a kid, no kid asks another kid, how'd you sleep last night? That doesn't happen. He goes on, men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their sounds grow faint. What's that about? My hearing starts to go. Verse 5, when the almond tree starts to blossom, want to guess what color almond blossoms are? White. Yeah, the hair starts to go white. And my favorite of all, verse 5, and the grasshopper drags himself along. Well, isn't that just wonderful? There used to be a spring in his step, but he ain't hopping anymore. He's not a grasshopper. He's a grass dragger. It's all he can do. And then he goes, this is describing the days that come after you're young. And desire is no longer stirred. No blue pill for that. No medicine for that. Do you, I'm going to throw this in because it's Bible. 1 Kings chapter 1 Verse 1 and 2, you want to know what the health care was back in David's day? They didn't have life support. It says he grew old. They had him laid out. He got no heat, couldn't get warm. They trying to stimulate him, get the blood flowing, get the heart moving. And how did they do, what was Medicare like in those days? Well, they took Abishag, a virgin, and they put that naked virgin on David to see if we could get some blood flowing and get the heart moving because that, that was the life support system. Now, excuse me for all the guys out there, but I like that Medicare. I, uh, I tried to talk my wife into that, should that ever happen to me, but she said, I will simply unplug you. I'm not, okay. I, I preached that at a pastor's conference of a thousand preachers in Johannesburg, South Africa, and they all said, I never saw that in my life. That's right there in the Bible. I'm not recommending it. I'm saying that's, that's how they did it. They figure if, if this doesn't do it, he's dead. Okay. <laughs> he goes on to say, Then man goes to his eternal home, and mourners go about the streets. Remember him. Remember God before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from. And 
to God who gave it. That's in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Well, that's the day of trouble that God says is coming to all who live a pretty long time. So the age of the body is a, syn a syndrome of changes that are progressive, universal, and irreversible. Isn't that a cheery thought? I mean, we try to push it back. We, we help it a little bit, but it's still coming. Your skin will sag and lose elasticity. You look at your hands and you realize, sheesh, I got my parents' hands. Your hair will start growing where you don't want it to grow and stop where you do. You know, weight will leave the poles and head towards the equator. Some of you are young, you're hot, you're buff, you're vigorous, and you're thinking, never happened to me. And those of us who are older want you to know, I understand your thinking, and we love you, but it will happen. In fact, we're kind of looking forward to watching it. Yeah. This is a pretty amazing fact. When you are in the embryonic stage, the human brain, when it's in development mode, is creating 50,000 nerve cells per second. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 139, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Boy, is that true. But then those cells start dying. Do you know how many of your brain cells have died? More than half died before you were ever born. You were getting dumber before you were ever getting smarter. All of which raises the question, how then do I age well to finish well, to, to finish strong? See, a lot's being written in our day about successful aging, optimal aging. So how do you age well from a biblical perspective? Because that's different than the culture says. This is from a historian by the name of Martin Marty. What was the average lifespan of a human being during Jesus' day? the days of ancient Rome or Greece in general. He says 20 years. Infant mortality rates were off the charts. Now fast forward a thousand years to medieval Europe, mid-30s. As recently as 1800 in America, it was 36. Today in the United States with improved health care, information, diet, etc., it's 77 and slightly higher for women. So throughout history, people did not live that long in general. It's estimated that over 25% or maybe a third of every human being who's ever made it to 60 or over are alive today. Between a quarter or maybe a third of every human being that ever hit 60 is walking on the planet right now. So what do you need to age well from a biblical perspective to finish strong? It's different because our culture says aging well is about freedom, independence, security, and comfort. But from a biblical perspective, we need three ingredients to finish strong, to age well. Number one, you need wholehearted faith. Wholehearted faith. I need the subtle conviction that I can trust God with my tomorrow. Not because tomorrow is going to be easy, but because God's already there waiting on me. Now, let's look at a guy in the Bible named Caleb. He was one of the 12 spies sent by Moses to spy out the promised land. And when the spies came back, 10 of them said in Numbers 14, let's go back to Egypt and be slaves. Wow. That, that assignment is impossible. They said, we can't take this land. Only Caleb and Joshua trusted God. 
And they had seen all the miracles, and still they're the only ones that trusted God. Numbers 13, they said, we are well able. We can surely do it. And sadly, because of Israel's unbelief and the fear of the people, Caleb had to spend 40 years of his life watching church on live stream. I just threw that in. Wandering in the desert. Amazing. He was 40 when he went to spy the land. And by the time they crossed the Jordan River, he's 80 years old. Then another five years passed beyond that. So now this is Caleb speaking in Joshua 14, verse 7 and 8. I was 40 when Moses sent me to Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. I brought him back a good report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God with my whole heart. If you have a negative attitude and small faith at age 40, there's a pretty good chance you will not have a negative attitude and small faith when you're 85 because there's a pretty good chance you won't be here. I'll prove it. Psychologist Martin Seligman studied hundreds of people in religious community. He found that 90% of the most optimistic, faith-filled people were still alive at age 83. Only 34% of the most negative, pessimistic people even made it to that age. Another study tracked 2,000 people over the age of 65 in the southwest United States. Optimistic people, faith-filled people had better health habits, lower blood pressure, a tougher immune system, and were half as likely to die as negative people. So if you have a positive attitude as a faith-filled person, you are more likely to live a decade longer at a minimum than people with negative attitudes. I wonder how many of you are happy to hear that. See, and if you're not raising your hand, you're in serious trouble. Or you're watching too much news. Kind of interesting. There were 12 spies sent out by Moses. 12. But only Joshua and Caleb had faith. We can do it. They're bred for us. Let's go up at once and take the land. The other 10 said, nah, back off. It can't be done. Let's go back and be slaves in Egypt. And not one of those 10 ever made it to the promised land. And their names are never recorded again in genealogy anywhere in the Bible. They finished it themselves. See, none of them made it to Caleb or Joshua's age. Faith is such an amazing life giver. That's, that's finishing well. That's wholehearted faith. A pretty good payoff, I think. The second thing you need to finish strong, to finish well... You need a challenge. Now, you may not like this, but you need a problem. How many of you may be sitting next to that problem this morning? <laughs> oh, no, I'm just kidding. This is what Caleb said, Joshua 14, verse 10. So here I am today, 85 years old, and I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out to spy the land. I'm just as strong, just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Give me that mountain. Give me the hill country that the Lord promised me that day 45 years ago. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. So what's the toughest battle you military people know 
What's the toughest battle to win against an enemy? Flat ground or high ground? Well, taking high ground is the toughest. And that's what Caleb asked for. The hardest challenge. He has to face the Anakites, Israel's formidable opponent. They were the ones talked about back in Numbers 13 when the people saw him and says, we saw the children of Anakites there and we seem like grasshoppers next to them. This guy, Caleb's 85. You think he's asking for a condo in Shalom Acres? No, he wants the privilege of a hard, tough assignment. He wants one more chance to cross the Jordan. God, just give me the hill country. Marianne Diamond is a researcher on aging at the University of California, Berkeley. And she's a leading neuroanatomist. And one of the things she discovered was deliberately induced problems and challenges are required to keep your brain healthy and developing. So she's done studies with rats and discovered that rats that have to figure out how to get around obstacles and mazes to reach their food developed a thicker cortex, a cerebral cortex, and more dendrites. dendrites. They were able to navigate other mazes much more quickly and became able to solve problems much more proficiently they were less likely to spend time watching Dancing with the Stars. The fewer problems the rat had, the faster its brain went downhill. Well, she went on to write, in terms of successful aging, it's not enough to continue activities in the same groove year after year with the same expenditure of mental and physical energy. She says the brain requires new challenges if it's to remain a healthy, functioning organ. And old Caleb says, give me that mountain. Do you know what that cerebral cortex does? Just, just a key one. It's a key role in attention, perception, awareness, thought, memory, language, and consciousness. So you want that sucker to develop well. Caleb said, God's wired us up so that uh, our, our bodies, our brains, our minds, our spirits require not comfort, not ease or security, but challenge. That's research. Uh, if you want a healthy cerebral cortex, which is key to your life, you, you've got you to have some challenges. If all you want to do is retire, you're dead already. That's why people who retire and have nothing to get up for, no dream to pursue, don't live as long and don't fare very well in their health. Their immune system goes down. I'm never going to die. <laughs> really, I just can't imagine. Well, Brother Rick, when are you going to retire? When I die. When Cindy said he's decomposing now, he won't be back. He's left the building. Okay, that's when. I cannot believe people live for retirement. I mean, I don't mind changing a job or career challenge. That's fine. But to do nothing? Gag me. You, somebody should have told you to dream bigger. And get, get, you got a lot of potential unlived. There's more in you than AARP or Medicare or following Joe Namath to get more benefits off that Medicare. I want to end up better off than Joe Namath doing Medicare commercials. God help me. Okay. And number three, if I'm going to finish well, 
I've got to be in community. I've got to be connected. I've got to have relationships. Now, Caleb was one of two faithful spies. Joshua was the other one. Joshua got to be the new leader when Moses was, was dead. Joshua got to be the new Moses. Now, Caleb didn't, right? He could have withdrawn, sulked, isolated, sucked his thumb. Instead, he and his engaged commitment to God's people just kept growing. Caleb's generation, that means those who left Egypt with him, all died in the wilderness. That means old Caleb, as an old man, had to develop a whole new circle of friends. He had to become mentor, guide, cheerleader for an entirely new generation because all of his generation were dead. And he did it to such an extent that they all said, when we go to the hill country, we want Caleb, 85 years old, to be the one to lead us. See, folks, community is life-giving. Isolation is terminal. Staying home watching TV on live stream is not life-giving. It's a good bridge if you're sick, if you're on vacation and you want to stay connected, but it won't bring life. Maybe the enemy's got, you know, if you're not sick and you don't have serious health issues, how long are you going to stay out of community when there's no life and no growth? And by the way, you cheat. When you watch online, the phone rings, you text, the dog barks, the children acts up, the washer machine goes off. You don't finish usually. There's interruptions. You don't get connected. You don't get to meet a brother or a sister. You don't get to get encouragement. It's not like you're disconnected. It's not God's proper way to grow. You need a community. Get your ugly self back in church. If it's not this church, in the church that you've chosen, but get off live stream. You are not going to reach your potential on TV. You're going to reach it. God sets the solitary in families, right? Not on TV. Okay. You say, well, you feel pretty strong about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me come over to your house when you're watching it on live stream. Let me see how many interruptions go on, especially if you have a family, dogs, and laundry to do. We'll just see. Or something's cooking, right? Can I get any help in here? I mean, even if it hurts? Yeah. So Dr. Diamond, whom I just mentioned, wanted to see the effects of isolation in aging. She found that if 12 rats were in a cage together and they were given a challenge, their brains developed a thicker cerebral cortex than if they were alone and given the same challenge. Interesting. Then she wanted to see how this worked with older rats. So she took rats that were 600 days or older, the equivalent of a 60-year-old human being, and she got the same results. So she was invited to present her findings in Germany. She went, but discovered that the rats in Germany lived to be 800 days old. And that troubled her because her rats started dying at around 600 days old. So she said to her researchers, there's one thing we haven't been giving our rats, they do, and we're going to start. And we're going to give them love. We'll have the same challenges, the same community with our rats. We always did. But each researcher will have to pick up their rat, hold it against their lab coat, and pet it with their finger, and speak kindly to it. Now, I don't know what you say to a rat. But here's what happened. When they started loving those rats, not only did those rats break the 800-day barrier, 
but they got to 904 days, and they were still alive and still developing thicker cerebral cortexes, more developed brains because of challenging conditions. Why? Because community gives life. Isolation destroys it. And let me pause to say, as you live, live today, as you leave today, out in the lobby, get signed up for a home group. We're going to start those later this month, and you need to get in a connect group, and we've got information to help you get started. I want somebody to touch and squeeze and feel and to encourage or encourage me, or I'm with you, brother. You can't do that on a TV. Put your hand on the TV. No, put your hand on me. Put your hand on a brother or a sister righteously. That's community, right? And God says, that's my plan. That, you, that you're, a two-fold cord is not easily broken, and a three-fold cord is, is uh, better than ever, you know. So are you connected? And if not, why not? You don't want to just get old, pay your bills, see? The generations together as a community of believers, young and old, loving and receiving life, giving life, giving hope, receiving wisdom, that's God's plan. We believe that's God's plan for our church. A place that welcomes every age, every background, every ethnic group. A place for everyone. And if you're in a small group with a lot of old people, get a young adult to show up every now and then and talk about the challenges in their life that they're facing with children, the culture, school, and marriage. Because it ain't the same as you and I when we came up. And if you're in a younger group, occasionally get somebody with a brain to come in who's a little older and tell you what they've learned about life. That's why I wanted to tell the staff what I thought was important. Pay the price now. You got less to risk when you're young. You'll or just be old and what if? What if? Oh, don't you know the grandkids want to gather around your old bed dying to hear grandpa talk about what if? I shoulda, I coulda, I woulda, but I didn't. Oh, gag me. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather give it a shot than not at all. I'd rather have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. I'd rather have asked the prettiest girl out for a date than sit back and say, oh, she'll never go out with me. No, not if you don't ask her, she ain't going to go out with you. She might not anyway, but at least you got the satisfaction of asking. And then I might suggest ask again. You know, business may be slow. You might get a shot. You just never know. <laughs> you give up too easy. You give up too quick. You got to be, be resilient. Pay the price. I don't know what it's going to cost, but I'll pay it. There are no Kmart blue light markdowns on a good life, on a good marriage, on a good dream, on healthy financial stability. There are no cheap answers. You got to pay the price. Pay it if you want a good life. And then when you're old, you can enjoy your life. The Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, not bills and debt, but assets. Not only money, not only property, but values, spiritual values, what's really important. See, if you still view the world at 60, the way you did at 30, you just wasted 40 years of life. This is from Isaiah 46, verse 3 and 4. I love this verse. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. <sighs> that feels good. When you see somebody finish like that, 
and then invest their life or wisdom or encouragement to somebody younger, ah, it's the best. And one of the main reasons I'm a follower of Jesus is due primarily to the influence of my grandparents. They made sure I had a Bible, took me to church every Sunday, uh, and I wasn't a willing participant, and they mentored me about God as best they knew how. And even in my young, rebellious years later, I couldn't escape that influence. My grandparents served at church. They served civic clubs way into their late 80s. They outlived most of their friends, and they died in peace in their sleep in old age. What a way to finish well. To finish well is to be a people who say, God, we don't care primarily about comfort or security or our 401k. It's not even about having a hot, buff, healthy body. Give me another mountain to climb. We know there's another generation coming along, and we choose to be a people who are willing to sacrifice our own comfort, our own style, our own taste preferences, our own conveniences, our own resources so we can impact the next generation. And that's who God made us to be. I need wholehearted faith. God is able. Remember the message on, but I am not worthy, but I don't know enough, but I am the least in my family, but I have had a divorce, or but God, but God is able. You need a wholehearted faith. You need a challenge, a dream that's bigger than you are to pull you through life. And you need to be in community. We are better together. Get in a small group. Get in community. Get regularly in church. Let your children see you model what's really important in life. Because way down the road, it'll save their life. And it'll make life a lot better for them. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.